What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. You heard the man. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, Southern reporter for your Houston Texans. And man, we've got a jam-packed show. Mark's going to join me in the next segment. And we're going to talk about the state of the AFC South, some important stuff happening in this division. Who's going to win it this year? And what do you make of the Colts making Nick Foles a starting quarterback? We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. We also are going to go men behind the mics. And when it's Tennessee Titans week, that means it's our pal Mike Keith going to join the show. DP City also sat down with Christian Harris. It's deep slant first timer Christian Harris. That's going to be fun. And then David Fletcher, GM of Lone Star Sports Entertainment, is going to join me to talk about the Tax Act Texas Bowl featuring Texas Tech against Ole Miss. That's going to be some fun stuff. But it's Wednesday, and right after the shoot, you know how we do? We started with Nick Casario. We had a fun time talking to Nick this week. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, good to see you. Happy holidays. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Likewise, good to be here. Uh, great effort against the Kansas City Chiefs. Outstanding effort, really. Losing it over time, but so many good moments leading up to that. Didn't execute in OT, but got the big stop. There was so much in that game, Nick. What did you see on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, we kind of, a couple situations took advantage of, uh, you know, turnovers. So two turnovers converted those into, you know, two touchdowns. So anytime you can take the turnovers and takeaways, convert them into points, that usually can kind of have an impact on the game. So, but that was a positive. Um, did some decent things in the red area offensively, you know, kind of throwing. And Davis, you know, scrambled out of, you know, uh, the pocket there a little bit to get a mm -hmm. touchdown. So, and then defensively, you know, forcing the, t the takeaways there and the turnovers. Um, you know, a lot of good skill players there offensively. So, um, you know, in the end, they kind of made you know, a few more plays than we did there in the end. Um, played good in the kicking game. I think they, you know, had, I don't know, whatever the net return yards were, but. Did a good job covering kicks, covering kickoffs, you know, covering punts um, against some pretty, you know, good returners. So, um, you know, so overall, you know, gave ourselves a chance, kind of came a short there in the end. Um, but, you know, it's kind of been the story of our season here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Nick, we know it's next man up. Guy gets injured. Guys got to step up. But reconfiguring an offensive line can be kind of tricky at times, especially when you take a right tackle and you put him at guard. And he's played guard before with Titus Howard. But for the third straight week, you didn't give up a, I say, real sack because the only sack you had was when Jeff went out of bounds. But you moved Titus over to left guard. How did you think that went with Titus moving over to guard? How did you think the offensive line played given the changes they had? Yeah, I mean, hate to word, use the word seamless, but, I mean, it yeah. really wasn't a big issue. So kind of late in the week, we kind of had a feeling it was going to go that way just relative to maybe Kenyon's availability. Um, and Justin was kind of touch and go there a little bit, McCray. So... We thought the best option was to move Titus over there to left guard and put Charlie at right tackle. Um, so kind of by the end of the week, we kind of had a feeling that that's the way it was going to go. But Titus has experience playing in there. That probably helped here a little bit. So, I mean, overall, the offensive line, for the most part, has done a pretty good job here, you know, this year. Um, so um, pass protection has been good for the most part for most of the year. I mean, we've played some good fronts, and you know, depending on the nature of the game, how it's gone, you know, pass protection has been an issue at different points. But overall, I mean, the player's done a good job. I mean, that – Titus moved over there. It really wasn't an issue. I mean, Hop's done a good job with that group, you know, most of the year. So, um, overall, I mean, they, they did a pretty good job against, you know, a good front. 
What about Charlie Heck? He's your swing guy, and he got time as an extra blocker. He had some success at right tackle last year. Oh, and he's playing in a game where his dad is a coach on the <laughs> other team. There's a lot going on there with Charlie on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Charlie is so steady and consistent. So, I mean, he the way he approaches his, his job, his work ethic, his mindset, his mentality, it's if he'd been playing there the whole year. But... That's what you have to do when you're not playing. You always have to stay ready to go because you really never know when that opportunity is going to arise. So Charlie's credit. Charlie's played a lot of football. So Charlie works really hard. He prepares hard each week. He goes into it with the right mindset. He may play. He might not play. This week he had an opportunity to play. He played all the snaps, and he's played a lot of football for us there at right tackle. He did last year when you know we had to shift Titus over, and then Charlie played right tackle or you know when Cannon was out of there. So. Charlie's really improved from the time he was drafted to kind of where he is now. Um, you know, it's kind of a pretty cool moment. We got a chance to see his dad there before the game. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, his dad's a really good offensive line coach. He's a good player for a long time. He's a good offensive line coach. Um, you know, Charlie's Charlie's been good to work with. Um, he's done a good job, and he, he played well the other day. I always give you as much credit as I possibly can, but I'm going to give you even more credit for this because when we're training camp and we're doing our shows and the idea of the 53-man roster comes up, and you always say it's a 69-man roster. And I think Royce Freeman epitomized that. He's a guy that's been around here from training camp, been on the practice squad, and he finally gets his opportunity. And that's something that you have said all along. Look, if you're on the 69-man roster, basically, you're going to get an opportunity. How did you feel about Royce stepping in, using that kind of as a backdrop, the fact that, hey, you're on the roster, you're going to get an opportunity, you just don't know when it's going to come. How did you think he fared on Sunday? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Royce took advantage of an opportunity, kind of stayed ready to go. And we've talked about this. You're trying to build the depth of your team up as much as possible, however you do it. And there's a number of players that have vast experience in the league who play a lot of football who aren't on an active roster, but they're on a practice squad. So if something happens during the course of the week or you have a player that's going to be out for an extended period of time, your best options are typically going to be internally. So how can you supplement that depth internally on your roster some players might be a little bit more prepared to play than others. You know, you have a guy like Freeman on the practice squad who has four years of experience who's played versus a player like Tristan McCullen, who's in his first year, who's a rookie, who's a little bit more of a developmental player. But I think you've seen progress from both players. Like Tristan mm -hmm. has improved. I know not everybody can see it, but he's improved right. in practice just as an example. And Royce has played football. So sometimes your depth off is off the roster as opposed to being on the roster philosophically that's how we try to approach it i think you look across the league you're seeing more and more of that so if you have a situation you really want players that are prepared to play that can go in there and play at a certain level so if you have a bunch of rookies on a practice squad all right that I man that's your prerogative and your philosophy but inevitably those players are going to have to play at some point so i mean even going back to a player like chris moore last year chris moore was on the practice squad so he was on a practice squad kind of on and off the roster now he's a roster player this whole year and he's done a good job for us. He's probably been as consistent an offensive player for us, taking advantage of opportunities the most he's played um, offensively over the course of his career, and he's had the most production. So it's you have to have a certain mentality and a certain mindset, and the type of player that you have off the roster has to be prepared and ready to go and has to understand his role. Look, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to play as many games as possible. Sometimes it doesn't always go that way. And Royce has handled himself very professionally. I mean, he's asked at different points, am I getting an opportunity to play this year? And we've kind of said, look, stay ready to go. Probably as long as DP is kind of playing, you know, we take three backs to the game. It's going to be hard to maybe get that next back to the game. So here was the opportunity. Unfortunately, DP had to go on IR. You know, Dare and Rex have been pretty consistent from the beginning of the year in their roles. And then here's an opportunity to get uh, uh, another back to the game. It happened to be Royce. And Royce took advantage of his touches.
Nick, it's funny in the secondary, you know, you have the injury situation, but you have the law firm of Dez, Tav, and also Traymond Smith. <laughs> they rise up, they make plays. It's good to see that core group doing that. And these are guys, it feels like they've been here forever now, and they're really helping out the team. Yeah, I mean, they've been here for two years now. I mean, all three of those This feels players, like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they've played a lot of football. Yeah. And again, those are a couple examples of, you know, Tremont is a player that kind of, you know, they drafted by Kansas City. I, I might have that correctly. Kansas City, Indianapolis was kind of some different places, kind of bottom of the roster type player, kind of more depth, you know, backup, has a role in kicking game, and then forced into a bigger role because of the injury to Nelson and Stingley and, you know, went out there and played, you know, solid football game. So, that's where we talk about the depth of your roster and supporting it with the, the right players and players that can go out there and actually play. look, you're not saying they're necessarily starting caliber players. Could they go in there and start and play, you know, competitive snaps? They've shown the propensity to do that. Des probably has the most experience, had the most play times, played corner, he's played nickel, and his versatility to be able to do both. So he's done a little bit of everything for us. So it's a credit to him. Um, so Dino does a good job with that group, kind of getting them ready. Um, and then Tavier, since he's come back from the injury, has kind of solidified his role as the nickel inside. So you never really know when you're going to need your players. You're going to need your depth. Some weeks it might be more than others. Some weeks it might be more on defense. Some weeks it might be more in a kicking game. I think as long as they have an understanding of what their role is, then you know it's going to be good for everybody. But the, all three of those players have, have played at a, a competitive enough level, giving us an opportunity to, to win games. Nick, I know one unit on defense doesn't play well without help from the other unit, but it feels like the linebacker group has played significantly better than maybe they did in the middle of the year. Christian seems to have taken his game to a different level. Three TFLs the other day. Kirko, Christian Kirk, she had to sack. Um, it feels like you're getting a lot out of your linebacker group. Jake Hans had the fumble recovery. Cashman had the sack at the end. You've, it feels like you're getting more out of the linebacker group than you were at the beginning of the year. How do you see the way that group has played? Yeah, I mean, defense is about 11 players. So you got three levels of defense. You got the line of scrimmage, you got the second level, and then ultimately into the secondary. So everybody has a responsibility in the defense. You know, sometimes have been better than others. You know, other times, you know, whether it's a guy's out of a gap here, he's out of position, or you get displaced. So I think overall tackling has improved. So it's been a part of it as well. But I mean, Kirko's kind of been steady, steadying presence some of the time he walked in the building and everything that he's done, and he's played well, you know, this year. When, since Christian has gotten on the field, I mean, I think Las Vegas was really yeah. when he started playing. You know, he's really made a lot of progress. I think you see his speed and his athleticism kind of show up. I mean, a play there against McKinnon in open space, I mean, that's a tough play to make. But, you know, he's probably one, and Christian's probably one of our most athletic players on the team. You know, Cashman, even though he's not on the field a lot, when he goes on the field, he usually has a positive impact. Um, you know, and Jake has had, you know, an opportunity to play a little bit more and make some plays. So, I mean, overall, we've gotten decent production uh, from that group. Um, you know, we just kind of need it more collectively as a team. And, you know, but in pockets, to your point, John, I mean, that group overall has done a, has done a decent job. Yeah. Nick, I'm not going to steal Johnny's thunder and ask you about the Titans just no. yet, but I will ask you about the weather in Nashville, which to the Houston media, this is kind of a topic. I know to you, <laughs> to Lovey, it's like, what are we talking about here? Lovey coached in Chicago for a decade, but it is a bit of a factor. So can you address that? Yeah, it's a factor, but ultimately you're playing the opponent. You're not playing the weather. So I think the the biggest thing that probably have the ball is, I mean, ball becomes tougher to handle. Not tougher, but it's hard. You know, so ball security is going to be um, at a premium. The footing, the surface, um, you know, depending on how long the field is covered, you know, it could be a harder surface. Um, and ultimately, what factors in the games more than anything is usually the wind. So it's not necessarily the temperature, how warm or mm -hmm. cold it is. 
the wind usually impacts the game on anything usually impacts the kicking game more than it does offensively or defensively but if you have a strong enough wind it could affect the play calling and the passing game how that goes so we'll have the jackets we'll have the heaters you just try to keep your body you know as warm as possible once a game gets on players are moving around so you really don't notice the cold but you just have to be cognizant of what the conditions are it's not as if you're playing indoors or you're playing in 75 80 degree weather so i mean ball security just ball handling will be important and how the wind impacts the kicking game will probably come into play from a strategy standpoint. You got jackets and heaters for your sideline reporter? <laughs> <laughs> Gloves, earmuffs, go whatever you need. Yeah. You're going to uh, tough it out. Okay, so <clears throat> this is going to be a little different than what we have done in the past because this is a team that we have seen before. So I'm going to phrase the question a little bit differently. We saw the Titans middle of the season. Now we're seeing them at a different phase in the season. How different are they, Nick? What makes them different now than maybe what they were when we saw them earlier this year? Yeah, I think the big thing they've had a lot. They've had to deal with a lot of injuries, and they've had to deal with adversity, kind of in a couple different areas. So, you know, made the change there. You know, John Robinson, who you know, I have a lot of respect and appreciation and admiration. You know, John personally and professionally. So, but every team, every situation, every organization is kind of going to be a little bit different. Um, they've had a lot of players that have kind of been in and out of the lineup. You know, have been hurt. I think the the core of the group. Henry's been kind of available every week. Simmons has been available. I think he's gutted out. I mean, and he's still playing at a high level, and, and even though he might be hurt. Um, um, Dupree's kind of been in and out. I mean, Autry's kind of been in and out. They've had a lot of guys that have been in and out. They've kind of had some guys at linebacker. But the core of what they are and who they are, they're a good run defense. They play good on third down. They're a good running team. They're a good running team in the league. They're committed to the run. Um, and they've gotten good production in a kicking game. Um, you know, rookie punter has done a nice job. I think he leads the league in punting or top of the league in punting. Yeah. Um, and some of their core players, I mean, Dylan Cole's actually done, you know, a lot of Texans fans are familiar mm-hmm. with, but Dylan's done a really good job. He's, I think he leads them in special teams tackles. So um, in the offensive line is probably where they've been the most impacted. You know, losing Lawan, they've had a lot of guys kind of in another lineup, receiver, kind of same situation. Um, Burks has been in, Burks has been out. So they've had a lot of, I would say, transition, a lot of turnover, a lot of players. So maybe the consistency hasn't quite been to what they would have hoped. They've kind of had to deal with some adversity. Um, but, you know, they're certainly a mentally tough team that has enough weapons that can do enough things to totally disrupt the game. So we just got to make sure we take care of the things that are important and prepare for their style of play, how they want to you know, want to attack the other team. Over your years of experience in the second matchup among division opponents in the season, how different is it game planning wise? Because they really know everything you've done pretty much, and they've seen you on tape versus the other opponents as well. So how does that factor? Yeah, it's in? a good question, Mark. I think you're kind of looking for some things over to, since the time that you play them. What, what's different? You know, whether it's schematically or maybe they're doing something a little bit differently. But I think we have an understanding of how they want to play. They probably have an understanding of how we want to play. Ultimately, it's going to come down to situational execution, which inevitably each game comes down to. So. Again, they're a really good third down defense. So our execution on third down to be able to sustain drives is going to be important. And then the run game, they run the ball more than any team in the league. They're one of the best backs in the league. And they're a good run play action team. So being able to handle those and on third down and say Woods is you know a factor for them. Um, I'd say on the tight end front, I mean, Chig's done a good job. Okoronkro has done a good job. Yep. He's kind of emerged a little bit as an offensive threat. So you maybe from the time you play a team earlier in the year to where you are now, you might have different personnel, maybe more players and making more of a contribution. So you just have to be more aware of those players, how they're using those players within their scheme. So that's probably the biggest thing you have to prepare for. Nick, stopping Derrick Henry has not been something that we've been able to do. He didn't play against us at 21, but – End of 19, 2020, first game in 2022, had a lot of success against us, a lot, yep. um, and that's unfortunate. 
in games that they have played in which Derek has been slow, what has been the biggest key to slowing him down, not letting him get rolling in a game where he's getting 200 as he has the last few times against us. What have you seen defenses do to him? What's the biggest key in slowing him down? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody always says, well, you just got to put more people down on a scrimmage, <laughs> right. but they run the ball against eight bo- eight-man boxes more than any team in the league, so it's not about that. So it's just making sure that each gap's accounted for. You try to get them off course or off track a little bit because the way they run the, the their running game, and it's kind of – Attack the edge is very zone-based, and they kind of get started on a track, and it's one cut and get vertical. You tr- you want to try to limit the space in the defense as best you can because mm. that run game is designed to get into space, and the back is basically looking for an entry point, looking for right. the space. So minimize the space, and then once he does get to the second level, I mean, tackling has to be important. So you got to get a lot of hats to the ball. You got to make sure you kind of have everybody in one gap. Don't give them don't give them space and kind of set the perimeter of the edge of the defense so the ball just can't go around the edge. So I mean, they're committed to the run. They're they're going to run the ball regardless of how many people are near the line of scrimmage. I mean, they threw six passes against us last time, so it really wasn't about the passing game. So it's really that the run game. I mean, it takes all 11 people taking care of their responsibilities, being in the right gap, not creating space and giving them a clean entry point, trying to make it you know as cloudy as possible, and then just getting enough hats to the ball from a tackling standpoint. Does the short week this time of year – is it less of a factor because you are where you are? You're not, you're not going to have physical practices, right? But at the same time, you want the bodies to heal up. So how does that play out? Yeah, you've played a lot of football at this point. We're in week, what are we, in week 16 or whatever it is. So, I mean, practice is important, but the health of the players is probably more important. And physically, they're worn down. And we went to overtime, played 80 plays on defense, you know, mm-hmm. 60 plays on offense. So Tuesdays kind of today is like a Wednesday, um, and then you kind of lose a day. But ultimately, mentally, it's probably more important than anything else, just understanding who we're playing, understanding their personnel, understanding what they're doing schematically, and then the players getting themselves to a point physically where they can go out there and feel good about where they are and be able to go out there and perform you know, at an optimum level on Sunday. I would imagine – I mean, you're a football guy, so you're watching football a lot, whether you're watching it for work or you're just watching football. A – how strange is it for you to watch a game between the Raiders that have got some of your great friends on one side <laughs> and a lot of your other friends on the other side? And B, have you ever seen a game end the way that it did in Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, it's you're almost like watching as a fan. I mean, yeah. you know, there's relationships that run very deep on yeah, both sides exactly. there. I'd say the close, unfortunately, the closest end of the game to that game was I forget what year it was. We played down in Miami, oh, you know, yeah. the end of the game yeah. where yeah. they had the, you know, seven seconds left in the game mm-hmm. and they ended up, you know, hooking ladder or they to toss the ball mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they win in the last yeah. play of the game. So unfortunately it was kind of a part of one of those, yeah. but a little bit different than kind of what happened. They weren't on Sunday. tied with you, right? At the uh, time, I think I can't remember exactly yeah, what the yeah. score was. Or we were. Yeah. I think we were up in the game. Yeah, you were. So they ended up winning the game so on the last desperate. play. So, but I'd say really, it's a good example of games come down to situational football, yeah. and you, mm-hmm. it could be one play at the end of the game. It could be one play in the middle of the game. So, how you handle that situation, and it's probably a learning experience on both sides of it. I know it was a learning experience for us. Back in New England, the Miami game, kind of how we played sort of end of the game defense. So hopefully you just kind of learn from that situation. You're really never going to know when it's going to show up, what's going to show up and how you handle it. But, I mean, yeah, 
I'm sure there's a lot of emotions that were in the stadium for for that last play. Yeah, did, did y'all put Gronk through more tackling exercises <laughs> after that? At that point, I think we took him off the tackling exercise and <laughs> focused on playing tight end. Nick, what about uh, the holiday season? You've been in this business a long time. How do you handle it? Because hey, everybody's got a Christmas list, and you have a lot of work to do. So how do you balance that? Yeah, you got to have a lot of helpers. Um, yeah. Hopefully, you have a lot of elves that can help you. So, um, but we're getting there. We're getting ready for the holidays. So. I know our girls are excited about it. Um, you know, honestly, we're the staff and the people in the building here is important. You don't want to try to reward them for the work and everything they've done this year. So, I mean, holiday, it's a great time for everybody. Um, we have a job to do, so we got to focus on playing football, trying to play good football. And then, you know, I think we're kind of fortunate, you know, after the game on, on Saturday there, you know, everybody will kind of be off on Sunday for Christmas, which they should be, which they should be with their family, and then kind of come back, you know, following week and kind of get ready to go for the next challenge in front of us. So, um, you know, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas to the crew here. So it's always good to visit with you guys on a, on a weekly basis. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Merry Christmas. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Nick, thank you. Appreciate your time as well every single time. I mean, every single week he joins us. And I know that's got to be a pain to come in and talk about things, things not going well. He does it every single week. Uh, love what Nick Casario, uh, brings to our show, gives to us. He's just fantastic, and we appreciate that. All right, coming up next. What is the state of the AFC South right now? Three teams could still win this division. Who does win it? And what does it mean that Nick Foles is taking over for quarterback for the rest of the year for the Indianapolis Colts? That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It was great catching up with Nick Casario. Mark Vandermeer and I got a chance to do that. And I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And Mark sticks with me. And Mark, I'm going to ask you a question that's got a lot of different parts. Oh, boy. I, br- I brought my number two pencil, Johnny. What is the state of the AFC South? Oh, that's, that's okay. a lot. That's a lot to unpack, as Spencer would say. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, of <laughs> course. Now, uh, we know what our issues are. I mean, we have a pretty good feeling, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see how those things kind of play out. But there are three other teams that have got a lot going on. So I'm going to start with this one. Who wins the AFC South in 2022? Three games Ooh. to go. Ooh. You've got the Titans at 7-7. Seven and seven. Yep. You have the Jaguars at six and eight, and believe it or not, believe it. Sorry, Matt Thomas. Um, oh, that's pay right. Homage I was to Matt. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just doing that. That's from his show. I know. Uh, uh, what the heck? Anyways, I like him. He's a good guy. we love Matt. Matt's a good yeah. dude. The Colts still have a chance to win a division. Uh huh. It's they got to win three in a row, which uh, I don't know. Then they've got to have the Titans no lose all three. Yeah. And the Jaguars can win one because the Jaguars have got to win that game against Tennessee at the end. Yeah. That's how they do. I, th- there's there's a miracle involved there. Mm-hmm. So given all that information, who wins the AFC South in 2022? All right. Let me give you the Titans schedule here. Okay. We know who they play Saturday. That would be the Houston Texans at noon. That's correct. Then it's the Dallas Cowboys Ooh. at home. Right. And the Cowboys are going to want that one. Yes. And then at Jacksonville. I think the Titans, and here's the thing, the Titans are going to lose once before they get to Jacksonville. Okay. It's either us or the Cowboys. Right. They're going to lose one of those games, Johnny. Right. Now, they might win both, but I think they're going to lose one. I'm with you. I think Jacksonville has a legit shot here, but this Thursday nighter they have with the Jets is no joke. Yeah. It's going to be in 
New York, well, the greater New York area, New Jersey, exit 16W off the New Jersey Turnpike, the Meadowlands. So they'll be at the Jets Thursday night, then against the Texans at NRG New Year's Day, then Tennessee. The question is, do the Jags sweep their way to the final? And if they do, they're winning the division. The Jacksonville Jaguars are coming from out of nowhere Mm -hmm. to win the division. This is a team that at one point lost five in a row. They were two and what, six to start the season. Ridiculous. Wow. How about this? I want you to think about this fact. This is kind of nuts. We had a nine-game winning streak in 2018, right? Right. Nine-game winning streak. Didn't get as much, but... If the Jacksonville Jaguars go on a seven-game winning streak, yeah, they are Super Bowl champs. Oh, from here, from or here on out, they're already two into. They're already it, two saying. into it, so, so that would match our nine-game winning streak. If they have a nine-game winning streak to finish the season, yeah, but the Jacksonville Jaguars are the Super Bowl champs. I just want that to let that just ruminate for a little okay. bit because how outside the realm of possibility is it? Let's think about this for a second. Have you heard of a team that? Just got into the playoffs, won a division with a second-year number one overall draft pick with a lot of talent. Things came together at the right spot and got to a Super Bowl. You're saying they're the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm throwing it out there. Look, it's, there are a lot of similarities. Are there not a lot of similarities? I can't <laughs> You're take having it. this reaction. I can't have this. <laughs> I cannot have the Jaguars going to the Super Bowl. I can't do it. No. Seven straight wins is uh, all it takes for the Jaguars. Well, six straight wins gets the Jaguars to the Super Bowl. Then they'll lose to the 49ers. But six straight wins gets them there. Five straight wins get them to the AFC Championship. I don't feel so good. I don't feel so good thinking about that, Johnny. I know. I don't know if they're ready for that, but they're certainly headed in the right direction. You have to say that at this point. Yes. Now they could melt down from here. Mm -hmm. What if they lose three in a row to end the season? That's possible, too, or two out of three, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's also in play. It's a clunky division right now. It's similar to the 2015-2016 AFC South, right? Right. But one thing that Mike Keith told me, and we're going to have him on. Yes, we're going to have him on a little bit later. One thing he told me was the Jaguars have lost the fewest starts to injury in the league. They are healthy like they were in 2017 yes, when you. they went to the AFC Championship exactly. game. They were the healthiest team then. They're the healthiest team now. It's a different kind of season. They were doing much better that year right. in the regular season. But it's all right there in front of them. Mm-hmm. They control their destiny right now, which is a wonderful thing to say for a team. So I give them a lot of credit. And isn't it funny how once upon a time, Nick Foles was the great hope for the Jaguars and won on opening day, but he might be the great hope for another team, the FC South. I don't this know weekend. if he's the great hope, but he's going to start for the Indianapolis Colts. How about that? Uh, Nick Foles is your guy in Indy. I don't, I, Mark, I just, I feel like, I feel like they're grasping at straws. Just what, what do we do? How do we do it? It is the Chargers. And that Chargers defense can be all over the map. That Charger defense was really good against Derrick Henry for the most part. Did have over 100 yards um, and averaged almost five yards to carry against them, but held the Titans to 14 points, which they should have. But against us, they gave up our highest point output and probably should have given up more. Now, obviously, we got some of that after the, the fumble and the kick return. But that's a team Nick Foles... Why not? I mean, Jeff Saturday is looking at it going, we've blown a 33-point lead with Matt Ryan. Mm. Um, Maybe Ryan's banged up. 
Maybe they just want to see what Foles has got. I don't think in their heart of hearts they think Foles is the answer long term, but why not if you're the Colts at this sure. point? I mean, you've you fired the Sam Ellinger bullet and that didn't go well. Then you've you've gone with the Matt Ryan bullet and that didn't go well. So you spin the chamber and you find this one and go, you know what, let's try Foles and see what happens. Yeah, I think thirty three to nothing is very good. Losing the game is very bad, and the fact that you couldn't score in the second half but for a field, field goal, goal yep. that's very bad. So they're looking at that. They're looking at the whole body of work with Matt Ryan. I was surprised they didn't go to Foles instead of Ellinger at first. I, I was Based too. on the way Ellinger played. In fact, when they went to him, I thought, well, maybe they know something here. Maybe right. he's been really showing out on the look team or whatever, yeah. and they looked at the preseason stuff, and they yep. felt like this guy's ready to show us something. We need a spark. Well, he didn't really give it to them, and there they are. You mentioned the nine-game winning streak, comparing it to, hey, what if the Jags win seven in a row and win the championship? Right. Okay. This time of year, every victory is worth more. I know they're all yeah. worth the same. You win on opening day, it's worth the same as week 18. Yes and no. It's like you're climbing Everest if you're trying to win a championship. Right. The early steps have to be easier than the ones that take you near the top, right? Yes. When you get toward that final apex, that's what these games are. So this Monday nighter, when the Chargers visit Indy, is humongous for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. They've got to get it. They can't stumble. They're fighting for a playoff berth. They cannot afford to falter in Indy against Nick Foles and the Jonathan Taylor-less Colts because he's out for the year. Yep. So I like the Chargers in this one. I think they're going to rise to the occasion and win it, but it will be interesting to watch. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt. So Colts starting Nick Foles against the Chargers. That's been announced. Uh, that was announced on Wednesday. You mentioned the schedule for the Titans, which included games against the Jaguars, the Cowboys, and the Texans. The Jaguars, you also mentioned the Thursday night game. Yeah. New York. That game was announced by Amazon. I remember when we were going through the schedule, and, of course, we look at a lot of things. We start with ours. Where are, where are our games? Where are the primetime mm -hmm. games? When are we traveling here? Where are we going there? Uh, what could be our weather games? Here we have, now, finally, the one last road game. Yeah. And the last outdoor game of the year, and it's going to be the coldest one all year. So, you know, we've dodged a few weather bullets throughout the year, so I'm okay with that. But when that was announced from Amazon, you look at schedule and go, okay, there's, oh, there's our game uh, against the Eagles. Okay, that'll be fun. It's our battle red game. We're going to wear red helmets. It's going to be fun. Jaguars-Jets on a Thursday night, you're thinking, come on, man. I mean, December 22nd. Mm -hmm. Come on, everybody's going to be watching you. You give us Jaguars-Jets. Like, you can't give us Chiefs-Chargers December 22nd. You can't give us something like that. And all of a sudden, this game is one of the most important games in the league. It's compelling. You have Zach Wilson starting for the second consecutive time coming back from the abyss. You have the Jaguars fighting for a postseason berth. The Jets are 7-7, seven and seven, obviously right in the mix, and they both desperately need it. It's good. Yeah, you're right. When you saw it on the schedule, it reeked of 2016-ish color rush. Jaguars wearing the poo-poo diaper color <laughs> uniforms. Remember those? Yes, I do remember <laughs> Against those. the Titans. And it, yes. just, and it was a Thursday oh, night. Yeah. Ugly. It looked ugly. It was ugly. Oh, Record-wise, otherwise. So it was so bad. And oh. I, that was the worst color uniform ever. They will never, ever wear that again. What was that? It's gold. No, it's no, not. No, that wasn't gold. I, no. don't, I didn't open up my kid's diaper and say, it's gold. <laughs> <laughs> it's I never gold, did. Jerry, it's <laughs> gold. But they go to the Jets. Then they get 10 days to prepare for the Texans on January 1st here. So they got two road games. So that'll be that'll be a test 
for them. They lost at Detroit on December 4th. Then they beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Then they've won uh, at Dallas or excuse me, back home in Duval County against Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and then they close the Tennessee Titans. So Jaguars, Colts, Titans. I don't know if you've said it. Who wins the AFC South in 2022? All right. So I got to make a prediction right now. Yeah. Texans are out of it, obviously. Yeah. But they can affect this. Absolutely. And that's that's where absolutely I, that's what I'm here for. This mini AFC South tournament round robin thing. I love it for the Houston Texans, and I love on the way out. I'm talking to the play-by-play guys. I know these teams. We've had them before. It's a nice way to end it. I think Lovey Smith has really caught on to something, by the way. At this point, what else can you catch on sure. to? But he's pinpointed, you know what? We have a winning record within the division. Yes. We could have the best record within the division of all the division teams. Mm-hmm. Can you win the conference championship and get to a bowl game, Johnny? Maybe. Maybe. That would be nice. <laughs> I want to get you a bowl. It might put you in a cure bowl. It may not take you to the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Might not but, be the cure. But, yeah, um, it would absolutely because who do we have in here the other day? We're talking to Mario Rogers, talking to uh, Tavier Thomas. And Tav brought up the record in division. It's 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Yeah. So, so you, you could go 4-1-1. One, and one. Yeah, you go 4-1-1 one, and one in the division and be the most – <laughs> dominant team in the division having taken care of business. People are wondering right now. So the Tennessee Titans are three and one. In the division. In the division. Okay. So you could We've lost beat to them. Jacksonville. They're that's three the and two. Yep. And then they're going to lose to Jacksonville. So that's handy for you. The Jags in the division are two and two. Yep. And they have dates left over with the Texans and the Titans. Right. The Colts in the division are one, three, and one. So you can win that that. AFC South yes, you Championship. Could. What do I call that? The best division record. The Colts would actually hang a banner for this, I think. And the Texans will not <laughs> do it not if they nice. get it. Yeah. That's bullying. They probably would. That's, that's but, bullying. But I think that is... Oh, I'd love to see them do it, though. You know, lo- This is what Lovey has right now. He's going to present this to the players. Sure. You'll get a bit of bragging rights as the team that did better than the others within the division. That's kind of cool if you're able to do it. But they have the opportunity in front of them with these three dates. But, Johnny, I will pick the Jaguars to win. The Texans can still beat Jacksonville, and Jacksonville can do it because the Texans can actually help Jacksonville and then beat Jacksonville, and Jacksonville, with a victory over the Titans on closing day, will win the AFC South. The only way that Week 18 – my math, I'm doing my math. The only way Week 18 becomes irrelevant – for the Jaguars and the Titans is if the Jaguars lose both games to the Jets and the Texans. They lose both of those. Mm-hmm. They would be six and ten. The Titans they'll be six and ten going in. Now wait a second. No, if the Titans no, the Titans would have to win one game. So if the Jaguars lose two games in a row, they lose to the Jets, they lose to the Texans, but the Titans win one of the next two They're week in. 18's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. I and think- that's exactly what the Titans need to have. For them, where the way they are going that's exactly what they need to have. That could be the Sunday night game, by the way. They haven't announced it yet. That could be the Jaguars flexed. v. Titans. What were the in odds? Duval County. What were the odds? Oh, zero. Yeah, absolutely they, zero. But they need a game where at least, at least one of the teams is going to get yeah. in with a win or not. Yes. Right? They need that. They need something on the line. They can't have an exhibition in that Sunday night game. No, you're you're absolutely right about that. Oh All right. man, I remember. Now I'm having flashbacks of 2009 where the Sunday night game. Oh, Jets, Bengals. Jets. Okay, well, let's take a look at it. Bengals didn't need it, so they didn't play. Oh, I'll tell you which one gets flexed, though. 
What? I'll tell you which one gets flexed in week 18. It may not be the Jaguars Titans. We'll see because the Ravens are hanging on for dear life. Yep. Ravens Bengals is week 18. Yeah. But Pat- the Bengals won't need it. Maybe not. Maybe not. Patriots Bills is week 18. Um, Lions Packers could be for something. What if the Bills need it for the one seed? Maybe. Because right now they're and the tied Patriots to the have Chiefs. got to get in. Jets Dolphins is week 18. Oh, that could be Okay, good. here's another one. <laughs> Crazy as it may seem, Panthers Saints might be for the NFC South. It could be. That's also that's week 18. Giants Eagles week 18. Browns Steelers might have playoff ramifications. I got one for you. You asked me to pick the AFC South and I did. It's Jacksonville. Yeah. I think somehow some way it works out for That's them. what I think it is too. I think it's Jacksonville. I think they win one of these next two and it makes as long as they win one of these next two then week 18 becomes for the whole enchilada. I'm going to give you a chance to revise, if you want to, your Super Bowl pick. Who wins the Super Bowl right now? Oh, I've got my team. Buffalo, I got my team. Buffalo Bills? No. Who is no, it? I, I, I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC. Now, the Bills were my pick. Yeah. And, and I'm, they would be number two. I have two teams that I think win it. Philly? Nope. 49ers. 49ers. Yeah. When Dre, we asked Dre that question, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And he said 49ers. I was like, man, he read my mind. That's exactly who I thought. I just think the 49ers are getting Javon Kinlaw back on the defensive line. Yeah. So you get a hoss like that back late in the year, fresh. Mm, mm. Holy smokes. Not good. So, yes, it's Brock Purdy. But, look, we saw a well-coached team in 2001 go win a Super Bowl because the defense was really, really good. And the quarterback was just opportunistic. They're that good. Yeah. They are that good They're on that defense. Good. I mean, with all those pieces. Now, I don't know when they get Debo back. That'll, that'll be key. But what about Mc- Garoppolo? Do you go back? Not if Purdy stays on this yeah. role. Drew and, um, Drew and DB asked me last night, would you go back to Garoppolo? And I said, it depends how Purdy's playing. Yeah. If Purdy continues to play nearly flawless football and make some really nice plays and the guys are responding to him, I think the players almost make that decision for you. I think you'll know being in that building, you'll get the vibe. You'll know whether you need to stick with them or not. And the Patriots in 2001, I don't know if Brady was playing exceptionally well. I brought this up too, but AFC championship. Belichick walked in and said, Hey, Brady's our guy. And then they get the AFC championship game and Drew Bledsoe had to come on and save it. Yeah. But Belichick went back to Brady because that was the guy they got hot with. I don't know what Jimmy's status is, but I stick with Brock. As long as Brock is playing well, I'm, st- I'm sticking with I'm Brock Purdy. I'm having flashbacks when you say I stick with Brock. Yeah. Uh, it's a different Brock. <laughs> Brock Purdy, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, man, I saw, was watching, I think it was ESPN Sports Center, and they were teasing for the next segment. And it said Brock and roll, and I just rolled my eyes like, oh, I've seen that before. I never said that. I know, I know, I know. That was the, I know you did. But everybody kept saying that. Let the record show. In 2016, they kept saying that, and I was like, are you going to say it? And you're like, no, I don't think so. And then you didn't, thank God. Um, Johnny, if the Titans don't win the division, how bad is it in that building? Does it change anything? You know, you asked McLean the other day if it affects Vrabel's status. Look, if I were them, I wouldn't touch Vrabel. Vrabel stays. In fact, Vrabel's the guy who's going to make all the football decisions anyway for me. I want to know what he's going to do about what they lack in personnel or the perceived lack in personnel. They have cap problems. They got to get under the cap. They can't make a ton of free agent moves this offseason. They got to try to draft well, reload that way. We'll see what they do at quarterback. Probably keep Tannehill. But what did we say last week? 
narratives will change in these final four weeks. Now we're down to three weeks, and I still say that's possible to change, affect narratives. Hey, the narrative right now, after the Jags came back and beat the Cowboys in overtime, was watch out, the Jags can win the division. What? Well, that's what a week did. Just by winning that game and the Titans losing a fourth consecutive game. Now, look, if the Jags win Thursday night, the Titans are thinking, Oh my goodness. Yep. We've got to win these next two next three in order to lock up this division. There's also another way you can look at it if you're the Titans. We got all these guys hurt, and we we honestly have to win one game. Now it's on the road, but we have to win one game. And that's week eighteen. So no matter what the Jags do, mm. We got to win that one game. It's dicey. I mean, you want to leave yourself open. You don't play better football going into week 18. But if you've got guys hurt, and they got a lot of guys hurt. Yeah, they do. All five offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen, were on the injury report on Tuesday. Why did they let Quisenberry go? I don't get this. I I don't know. I I get Saffold, but I don't get Quisenberry because he was less expensive. Yeah, he was less expensive, and he could play a number of different spots. proven he can play guard now. Yeah, exactly. Why did we let Quisenberry go? Never mind. Well, there's a lot of – yeah. (laughs) There's, there's a lot that goes in with that one. All right, Mark, great job. Thank you, Johnny. Coming up next, we're going to go around the NFL, including looking at Texans-Titans injury report, plus perhaps some major news coming for the Tennessee Titans. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time to go around the NFL, but we're going to focus on Texans and Titans in this one because... The injury report is just massive on both sides. I don't even know that I can get all the way through it. So let's do this. For the Texans, DMPs, Nico Collins, Kenyon Green did not practice. The only two that did not practice due to injury. You had Mario Addison, Billy Collins, Jerry Hughes, uh, not injury-related to rest day. So they were DMPs. Full participants today, Obo Okoronkwo, Laramie Tunsil, Brandy Cooks. Limited participants, Justin McCray, Chris Moore. So – Keep your fingers crossed that uh, can get back Oboe and uh, Laramie for sure. Don't know about Nico and Kenyon. My guess is they would be out, uh, but they were not put on IR, so maybe that's a thought that they can get back. Now, the Titans, it's almost better to think of who's not on this list. DMPs, Dylan Cole, linebacker, Nate Davis, guard, Christian Fulton, Ben Jones, Terrence Mitchell, Dylan Radons. He just got put on IR. Ryan Tannehill, circle that one real fast. Well, mentally circle it. Uh, Derrick Henry was a rest day. Monty Hooker. Uh, well, I take it back. Derrick Henry was a DNP, but it was not a rest day. His rest day was on Tuesday. So we'll see what that's all about. DNP on Wednesday. Boy, man. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, DNP. He went from limited to DNP. Derrick Henry went from limited to DNP. A lot of things going on. Here's maybe the biggest. Joe Rexrod, who, Joe, if I said that wrong, I apologize. Joe Rexrode, who used to cover Michigan State sports, he now covers the Titans in Tennessee, tweeted, Source, Ryan Tannehill most likely done for the season after re-injuring his ankle Sunday, meaning that's going to be Malik Willis against the Texans. We'll keep our eye on that the rest of the week, see what the Titans do. But that's your injury report for this week against the Titans. All right, we get the second hour. It's time to go man behind the mics. Mike Keith joins Mark Vandermeer next on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, and a big fan of the next two gentlemen. Obviously, one of my close friends and somebody I work very close to, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. But also got to know Mike Keith, the play-by-play voice 
since the beginning of the Tennessee Titans. He is the famous, there are no flags on the field for the Music City Miracle. Uh, he is, he's just great, and he is just a great guy. And a documentary uh, that gets mentioned here, I got a chance to talk with Mike about at the Senior Bowl. It's fantastic. But let's get to it. Let's get men behind the mics. Mike Keith, Mark Vandermeer, right now. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith. Mike, great to catch up with you again. I know you might be a bit jet-lagged following the trip to the West Coast, but here we go on a short week, Texans and Titans. Tell me, what's this been like? Because when the Texans played the Titans last time, the Titans were going good. Now it's a four-game losing streak. What's been happening overall? Paint the picture for me. It's been a bizarre year, Mark, because, you know, we started 0-2, and then we got to 7-3 and following a Thursday night win in Green Bay, which, I mean, you know, even if Green Bay's not their best Packer team, it's still impressive to go in there and win, and you get 10 days off, and you're feeling good about things. And then you lose a game to Cincinnati where you didn't like how it ended because in the second half, they really kind of worked you over a little bit. Um, go to Philadelphia, and they put it on you. Come back, uh, play Jacksonville, turn the ball over four times, and the Titans uh, have gone minus four in turnover ratio 14 times in the last 20 years, and they're 0-14 in those games, so there's your recipe. Mm. You really had no chance. And then go to the West Coast and, and take on a Chargers team that's surging right now and play pretty well. And, and find a way at the end to get the game tied. And then Justin Herbert does Justin Herbert things, Mike Williams with a fantastic catch, and you lose that one. The overriding story in there has been the difficulty of the offense to protect the passer. And in that situation, uh, the Titans not really set up to be your drop back 40 times team, uh, particularly on third and 17, and having a hard time with that. Uh, defensively, giving up a lot of passing yards, which has been a major storyline over the last three games in particular. And then the injury storyline. Uh, each of the last two weeks, the Titans have declared seven guys out on Friday. Uh, the injuries continue to mount, and now dealing with it with some skill players as well, including the quarterback. So it's been a combination of, of all of that. I will say... If you're a Titans fan or someone who supports the team, the performance in Los Angeles was much more like the team. Ran the ball well, played good defense, did some good things, got some takeaways, took care of the ball, just didn't have enough gas to get it over the finish line. And now we see coming into this week, a short week, who's going to be able to play for this team on Saturday and what are they going to be able to get done with the people they're having to play? Uh, because, and you know this too, Mark, when you're down to guys who weren't with you in training camp or who weren't with you in the first two months of the season, you can't run everything that you like to do. Mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But um, it has been probably the most roller coaster season that I have had in my time with the franchise. It has never been as up and down and up and down as what it has been in 2022 for the Tennessee Titans. 
All right, so Derrick Henry, we all know what he did last time against the Houston Texans, and it was a lot, over two bills again against Houston. I've noticed some lower yardage totals for him since then. He had a four-game stretch where he was double digits and some under 50, a couple of games now. A couple of these were wins, but what's been going on with him in the ground game overall, Mike, during this stretch? Well, there was a period of time for for the majority of November and into the first part of December, certainly in Philadelphia, where teams just set out to totally stop Derrick Henry and dared the Titans to throw the ball. And the Titans did have some success throwing the ball. And and you felt like Traylon Burks was getting on track and there were some things starting to happen. And then in Philadelphia, Traylon Burks gets knocked out uh, on a, an amazing touchdown catch that he made when the game was still very much in doubt. And the Titans have not had him for the last two and a half games. And so that kind of changed things a little bit with the passing game because Burks is a guy who can really stretch the field. He is a 6'2", 229-pound receiver, um, enormous hands, very physical, likes to play physical, very much fits what the Titans want, and is on his way to becoming a lead receiver and then he goes out, and he has missed two long stretches, one with turf toe and then one uh, post-concussion. And so, you know, when the Titans lost him, suddenly they don't have that lead receiver type guy that the other team has to be afraid of so much. So people continue to bunch up and bunch up and bunch up. And the last two weeks, Henry has gone for over 100 yards, but the difficulty has been – the Titans have not been able to get enough downfield in the passing game. And and those opportunities are there. You know, with eight men in the box, you've got some play action shots that you can take for, you know, those chunk plays that you need. So at, at some point in life, I think they're going to mm-hmm. be able to refine both aspects of it. The, the other team saying, okay, Henry can rush for 100 yards, as he has done in the last two weeks, but there is a way for that to happen, and you're not going to beat us. And that's what went on in the Jacksonville game and in this past game at Los Angeles, is that the team said, the Jags and the Chargers both said, okay, give the ball to Derrick Henry, that's fine. We're going to do what we need to do to stop him, and we don't think your receivers can go by it. And so that's been where some of the difficulty has been is he seeing the usual Derrick Henry defenses and the Titans passing game has not been able to back people off at this point. Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans joining us. Mike, this is one of the rare instances where I am in the booth and the general manager's booth is to my right and I can sort of watch the general manager during the game a little bit, but No John Robinson now. So you tell me, what can you share with us about the search or what's going to happen at that position with the organization moving into the offseason? I know we're going to catch up at the combine, but what can you tell us right now? Well, and that's the key is the Titans want their next person in position by not just the combine, but by the senior bowl. Uh, This team has a ton of decisions that it has to make on veterans. Uh, probably 12 to 14 of the biggest name players on the roster and the decisions that they have to make, which are upcoming are something that are going to shape what the Titans end up doing and needing in the draft. And so 
the realization behind all of it uh, for the Titans is they want to take the time to have this guy in position as quickly as they can. Uh, Ryan Cowden is the vice president of player personnel. He is running that operation right now. He will be a candidate for the job. He was a finalist for the Steelers job and has been interviewed for other jobs. There may be other internal candidates. We could see that. They will certainly spend time and have already spent time putting together the list of people that they will want to interview as quickly as possible. And this is what everyone wondered, Mark, about the timing, is why do it at the point at which they did it? And the answer is because with all these big decisions coming up, and what is going to be a very important offseason for the franchise, Amy Adams Strunk knew what she wanted to do and in talking with people said, we can better pursue this if we go now. And so that's what they're in the process of doing right now. Uh, I think Ryan Cowden is going to get a full evaluation. I don't think it has to do with wins or losses because, as you know, Mark, there's not a lot you can do personnel-wise right now. I think it's more about running the office, getting along with people, showing that he has the relationship with the head coach and the coaching staff, and then formulating what would be his plan and putting forward what would be his plan if he is chosen as the next general manager. But uh, Amy Adams Strunk has made it very clear she's going to hire a general manager. There will be a new GM with the personnel power. Certainly she wants somebody who can work closely with Mike Vrabel and you know, we, we move forward with this. There, there are a couple of things going in this direction right now. You know, you've got the season going on, and then you've got the work towards who will run personnel starting in early 2023 and will be in place and ready to go to the Senior Bowl. Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans, joining us. Mike, you played the Jaguars. You lost to the Jaguars. The Jaguars are chasing the Tennessee Titans how good are the Jaguars? I was delighted with the lack of progress of the Jaguars in the early part of this season. Now, not so much. Here they come. How good are they? Really good. And we were fearful leading into that game because you were starting to see the signs. And here's what they have first and foremost. They're the healthiest team in the NFL. Mm. They have lost less starts to injury than any other team in the NFL. And certainly it makes sense. You want to have your guys. But the other point, too, Mark, is because they've had their guys, they have been able to work together all year. And yeah. so the progress is there. And, and that's not just in games. That's in practice. And so what Doug Peterson wanted to do, which normally gets stymied by a number of injuries in year one of a new coach, has not been stymied. And so they're healthy. They're talented. You know, they've had a lot of high picks over the last 10 years. Some they've hit on, some they haven't. They've clearly hit on the one with the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. They've hit on the coach, finally. And I think they are a double-dog dangerous team for the rest of this season. What they did against us, in spite of the four turnovers, was no fluke. I mean, they played great football that day in every aspect of the game. They came to Nashville and won for the first time in nine years. And mm. it was very, very impressive, and certainly was impressive what they did last weekend against the Dallas Cowboys being down 27 to 10. They're not perfect, but they are very dangerous the rest of the way. 
and I think they're going to be very dangerous for years to come. Mike, I was watching this documentary on, I think it's called Voices of the South, Voices of the SEC, and it was on SEC Network, but I saw it on ESPN+. Plus. It's still available, and you are the Bob Costas of this thing. I mean, you're driving this thing as the main, they're interviewing you, but you're a narrator. You know what you did, but I'm describing it to the listener. Tell me about that project and how good it was to be involved with that kind of thing. It was a great honor. Uh, Tacklebox Productions did that for the SEC Network and for ESPN. They're a group out of Nashville, um, partially owned by Kenny Chesney, um, mm. who I've known for 30-something years. I knew Kenny Chesney before he was Kenny Chesney uh, from back in our days in Knoxville. And uh, that group has a strong interest in sports. They've got a couple more unbelievable documentaries out uh, or getting ready to, to come out. And I think what they do is just beautiful work. And so uh, Sean Silva and Don Lepore who work at tackle box called me and it was going to be a very narrow focus. It was going to be a couple announcers and we ended up being on the phone for a long period of time. And I said, you got to think about this guy and you should think about this guy. And, and, you know, went through because in my time with the Titans, and growing up in Middle Tennessee, which is, you know, only 40 miles from the Kentucky border, Nashville is, and only 80 miles from the Alabama border, you you get this cross-section of people. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of Kentucky fans, a lot of Alabama fans, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn. And so you get a chance to, to listen to a lot of these guys over the years. And it's it's kind of, you know, my passion is – listening to those announcers and understanding what they mean to their particular schools and particular teams and so on and so forth. And so we ended up having a long discussion and then we had another really long discussion. They said, we're thinking about this and, you know, it it really turned out to be a lot of fun. And so they said, Hey, would you sit for it? Because you know, stories about kind of all of these guys. And uh, I ended up sitting for them for about three hours (laughs) and we, you know, they said, we're, we'd like to use you in sort of this a little bit different role because you sort of, in your travels, have touched all of these schools and all of these guys in this different way. And so it's really fascinating. And it was, it was a great project. Um, when they let me see it, they, they called me into Tackle Box and they were kind enough to let me see it before it went out. And, and I had tears in my eyes mm. because you know what these announcers mean to fans. And it was just two weeks ago, Mark, someone stopped me at a Titans game and he said, Hey, I'm a Georgia fan. And I so appreciated the stories about Larry Munson and, and really thank you for that. And thank you for what that was. And, you know, Munson's style couldn't be any more different than the man I grew up with at Tennessee, John Ward. And yet, they both mean so much to their fan base. Right. Um, just, you know, just like NFL announcers. I mean, there's, they're different personalities. They're different cadences. Nobody does it the same way and there's no right way to do it. It's just really a matter of what resonates with the fan base. Yeah. And, and you, there's no magic formula, how that happens, who knows, but it's a beautiful business we're in. It's still very relevant to this day. Uh, there's some people doing it today who do it really, really well. And I, I think it, it starts with a lot of these guys and what they showed us how to do. And we're working hard, probably not meeting the mark, but we're working hard 
to emulate their talent and their professionalism. It's a, it's a special relationship that we get to have with the fan base, and those men taught us how to do it. Well, if anyone wants to know why people want to be the voice of a team, just watch that viral Andreas Cantor video after Argentina right. wins the World Cup. I mean, that, that tells you the whole story right there. And I tweeted out, that's me when we eventually win the AFC championship game. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I mean, it's the same thing. It's a, it's, um, and, and I've always enjoyed him so much. I enjoyed him even before I really knew who he was or what his relevance, mm-hmm. you know, you would hear the, the goal calls right. all over the place before anything even could go viral before we knew what viral was. Right. And, and it's just a, ma- it's just a matter of, you know, what your, what your favorite flavor is. There's some people who say, well, I like this person and I don't like this person. Nothing personal. Maybe it is in some cases, but in, in most cases it's not, but it's, it's kind of where it hits you in the middle of the heart. It's not just about calling the Titans' hand to Derrick Henry at right guard. It's a five-yard gain. Jones with the tackle at second and five. It's about how that person tells you that story and brings you into the stadium with them wherever you are because that's the greatest experience of being a fan. You know, Being a fan is just being a part of following the Titans or following the Texans or your college team or whatever. Um, it's just, it's just so enjoyable. And, you know, to be able to um, have the experience with tackle box to do that presentation was one of my favorite things that I've ever been allowed to do. It was, um, and, and remains one of the, the best things that I have ever seen that kind of lays out who these people are and why they occupy such a big part of um, of our hearts as sports fans, because that you know the passion of it is is what it's really all about. And if you saw the World Cup, as you mentioned, you get it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that much about soccer, but I understand why those people were so excited. And we're on the West Coast, you know, last weekend mm. on Sunday, and there are people at sports bars at six thirty in the morning, sure, to watch it. It's crazy. Even if they don't have a, a dog in the fight, there they were. Yep, absolutely amazing. Well, the documentary is Voices of the South, right? And it's on ESPN Plus. So that's cool. On Go, ESPN Plus. Yes. Yep. Take a look at that and check out Mike Keith's work there and also as the voice of the Tennessee Titans. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you on sun, on Saturday, Christmas Eve day. Yes, Merry Christmas, and we look forward to seeing you. And uh, bring your heaviest Oh, don't you worry your pretty little head, my friend. We will be bundled up. In fact, I've got bags of hand warmers. You hear them? Yeah, right there. I'll be having those with me on the sideline for sure on Saturday. Coming up, let's do a little deep slam with Christian Harris right here on Texans All Access. It's time for the SLB Stats Challenge brought to you by our friends at SLB. Check out the SLB Stats Challenge at HoustonTexans.com. And the number tonight is 14. That is Christian Harris' tackle number from last week against the Chiefs. He also threw another another number in there, three. Three TFLs. Man, he was fantastic last week, and he's fantastic on the mic right here with D.P. Sidhu. D.P., take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest, Christian Harris, rookie linebacker. We were just talking about how 
I didn't think I'd interviewed you, but you remember that right after yeah. the draft, we we did a quick Zoom call. Yeah, we did. It was right after the draft. That was yeah. a whirlwind for you. Yeah, it was a whole lot of emotions going on. It <laughs> All was right, a good so, time, though. So the, the first thing I, I have to ask you, the Levy Smith and Nick yeah. Casario hugging oh, yeah. after the draft. When did you see that video? Because that's really all anybody uh, was talking about. I think somebody there ended up showing it to me, but it was just so much going on. But yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny, though, when I got to see that. There was a lot made of it, but did you know that the Texans were going to, to draft you, or, or were you surprised? I that really you was appear? surprised. It kind of caught me off guard, um, just because at that point, I really wasn't expecting to still be kind of available in the uh, draft. And um, I mean, you just see kind of how God worked. You kind of put me in a really good situation. That's probably why they were so excited that you were still around. When yeah, I mean, it's four hours from home. Like, everybody can come see me play. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's really, like I said, God, God did, his, did his work on that one. This last game against Kansas City, you set some career highs you mm. led the team in tackles you had three tackles for loss you're the first rookie this season to do that to have three tackles for loss in a game uh, how has it been for you it seems like you're sort of all over the place now on the field tackling out in the open field how, how do you feel like your rookie season sort of progressed at this point um I think like really each game has been getting better um progressively but I mean I, that's just kind of been my main focus uh week to week just trying to find things that you know I might have messed up on or could have did better I'm just kind of trying to attack those things each week and it's kind of just helped my progression a lot, like move a lot more faster. Cause I mean, it was, like I said, it was, I didn't have preseason. Right. Uh, I didn't have, like, I, I missed out on a lot of time. So it was kind of just come back and try to get your feet wet and just get as comfortable as you can. I mean, they're being really good with me too with that. My coaches uh, making sure, you know, they're helping me with the playbooks and spotting out those things that I can't see that I'm, you know, messing up on that I need to improve on. So. You mentioned missing the training camp preseason. Mm -hmm. You start off your rookie campaign on IR. You missed the first six games. Yeah. What was the hardest part of that for you? I mean, I've never sat out really uh, my whole life. Like that I could remember, you know, from an injury. I've normally like played through everything, so uh, it was just a little bit of a different experience. But however, um, I mean, it worked out well for me. I was able to sit there and really get to watch the defense. Um, see how guys are moving around, try to get my a better understanding of it for myself just so, you know, when I get back in, I can hit it running, not really be missing the steps. So. Did you feel like you hit it running? Did it take a while to sort of get up to the speed that you're at now? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm doing better than I did when I first, like I said, my first game. But, I mean, I know that time out off that I had and out, it kind of hurt me, but also helped with, like I said, my understanding of the defense. So kind of had its pros and cons with it. All right, so one of the first things I learned about you is that you only started playing linebacker when you got to Alabama. Yeah. In high school, you played you played a lot of positions, but yeah. rattle them off for me, all the positions <laughs> that you played. Um, I played wide receiver in a corner. I had a couple snaps at safety, like freshman year, a couple snaps at running back. Did kick return and punt return, so yeah, that was about it. You get recruited by Alabama to play linebacker, to switch positions. Yeah. I mean, at what point – did you have a lot of – Colleges telling you to switch to linebacker was Alabama the only one. I mean, everybody was really saying, uh, like recruiting me as an athlete, and then, um, and then they'll find a spot for you. Yeah, and okay. I, I mean, you know, after conversation, you kind of see where they fit you, want to fit you at, and everybody was mentioning this linebacker thing. I never stepped foot at that position before, so it was kind of just like having taken a leap of faith and believing in myself and the coaches I had at Bama. I mean, you know, it's a great program they got over there for developing players, so I just. Kind of trusted them with that and went with it. Weren't you sad that you wouldn't be able to play offense anymore? Or did you have any offers to play off? <laughs> Didn't LSU recruit you on offense? Well, yeah, I was getting recruited to play like a tight end slash like H back, like a you know more athletic fullback, H back yeah. sort of. So, okay, um, but yeah, you didn't like want to go weight, that route. My weight jumped up, like I was two ten probably my sophomore year, but then I got to like two twenty five, two thirty around my junior year, and then that's when the like vision for receiver. 
or DB went away and meant, went more towards linebacker. Linebacker. It's like you're this big, you know, like we can use your size and like develop you into this type of so. So you get to Alabama, which is like arguably one of the best programs in the country. You're a day one starter as a true freshman. Did that surprise you at all that that the transition that you made, the ability to be a starter on that defense from from the jump? It definitely like wasn't something I initially thought about, like going right into it. Just because, like you were just saying, I mean, I never played linebacker, so it was kind of just attacking with a mindset of, like, I'm just trying to find a way to get better, like, each and every day. And it was kind of hard. I mean, I only had two months before the first game, so. Was it um, like a cram session that yes, summer? Like, I mean, I didn't I didn't start starting until, like, the second week of training camp, really. So um, I only had, like, about a month before the season started, but it was just kind of just take that approach, like, okay, we're going to learn on the fly. Like, you're going to be learning this whole year. Um, I mean, like, growing pains and all of that, but. What does that look like? Does that look like you're in the playbook? You're watching other linebackers on film? I imagine before you played linebacker, you probably weren't like what is getting up to speed yeah. on the position. Like, how um, did you get there? In a lot of months? film study, um, individually and with the coaches. I spent a lot of time up there uh, with the GAs, my position coach, just trying to get as much knowledge as I possibly could because I know I don't, I didn't know it all. I mean, I know I'm still learning now. Like, I don't have much experience at that position. It's been three years, so. Kind of just come, going in there with an open mind, it'll help me when I'm coming to counter with people that have knowledge with it. It's like I can just really be a sponge. You sound like you've got just a really good work ethic just in learning and putting forth the effort. So <laughs> tell, so where does that come from for you? Uh, my, my family, really, uh, the people that I kind of surround myself with. I mean, I have an older brother. Uh, he played he played in the league with Seattle for two years, three years. And what was your brother's Forest, name? Tyler Harris. Okay. So, yeah, he, was, uh, he got to play D-line, moved around a lot with that. And, I mean, really just for me, that was kind of my role model um, since Little League, trying to play three sports at a young age like he did. So mm -hmm. it was kind of my whole life. It was just him kind of, you know, structuring and making sure I was staying focused. And then, I mean, God just blessed me with good people along the way, too, um, while I'm still doing this journey to, you know, just help me out and give me good pointers. So just trying to, like, stay open-minded and take that advice while I can is just all I'm trying to do right now. What was the best advice your brother gave you? Really just... Trusting myself. I think recently he, uh, something that kind of stood out, he's just telling me to, like, you know, take a deep breath to stay balanced. Like, you know, never getting too high or too low in moments. That's something our coach says a lot, too, Coach Miles. But, yeah, just kind of helping me stay out of balance any way he can. So. All right. So you come from Louisiana. You, Derek Singley is also from Louisiana. Yeah, Baton Rouge. Yes, Baton Rouge. You guys yeah. played seven on seven growing up. So what With was that Leggers. like? You get here, you're a rookie. You've got someone that you've known since childhood. Yeah. Uh, how, how much easier did that make that for you? I know you guys both sort of went yeah. through your injuries at different times, but you know, just having him here. I mean, it was fun. It's exciting. It was, it was not something I thought was going to happen at all. Sure. That's why I keep, you know, mentioning just I mean, how out of control it, it was for, you know, the situation to play out the way it did with God having his hand on it, like, I knew Sting since probably high school, you know, mutual friends and us working out together at our high school. We were trying to get him to come to our high school. And then, you know, we get on the same seven-on-seven seven team and we're playing wide receiver and corner. I was still playing DB at the time. So, okay. I mean, it was just fun to get a chance to, you know, play with him and learn from him and see him play in college and then it played out this way. It's, it's made it a lot a lot more fun for him. Did you know him through the draft process or did you connect yeah, with him? Then? Yeah, yeah. We, we stayed in uh, – we stayed at – and uh, Frisco trained at Exos together. Too. Oh, you so, did yeah. in the off season. Yeah. Okay, so you guys really were yeah. still connected, even though you didn't know you'd be playing for no, the same yeah, team. Yeah, for sure. All right. So being from Louisiana, what do you miss most about uh, Louisiana? Mm. I would think it's the food, but I mean, I mean the food in Houston yeah. is not bad. No, like, it's great. Food, it's, yeah, they got good food everywhere, so it's it's not that. I would probably say 
mainly probably family. I get to see family when they come out here, and I mean it's a four hour drive for them. But I mean, if anything, it would just be getting to see like my people, like, my high school friends are all at home right now for Christmas. <laughs> and it's like killing me sometimes. I was like, man, like, I was like, season boys. a little bit longer than the yeah, college season. Yeah, it's a little season. longer. Yeah, but, it's a little know, bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, but that would probably be it, just the people. So, what about for fans that don't really know much about you? What are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do with your free time? Um, what are you into? I mean, it depends on that time of year. I feel like in season, it's like I just try to stay more laid back and out the way. I mean, I got like a smaller group. I went to, I like to go to aquariums. Uh, you do? Yeah, I went with my mom <laughs> for her birthday. Wait, in Houston or in Louisiana? In Houston, when you, yeah. When which one? Moody Gardens? Here. I can't remember the name of it. They or had is like the one a, downtown? Uh, Ferris wheel at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the downtown aquarium. So that was a good one. You um, like I just, I'm really with my family majority of the time, and like we're just finding different stuff. Different to do, things like, to different do in places Houston. To go. Yeah, so I mean, I just get like, you know, a handful of friends, probably three, four people that I'm really cool with, and we'll just find something to do, go eat, go hang out, go to the music, do something, like... I love that you love aquariums. That's like a fun fact that I don't yeah. think anyone has ever told you. What's the best aquarium too, yeah. you've seen? And you don't have to say Houston. No, nah, well, I mean. Don't you have one? Isn't there one in New Orleans? There is one in New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, and they have like a, they got this albino like uh, alligator. Probably. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Crazy. So, yeah, but um, <laughs> it's like a fun fact about that one. But yeah, uh, I'd probably say Houston, though, just because I like the tigers at the end. That, that, like, the, the albino yeah, tiger. I wasn't expecting right? that. Yeah. Like, yeah so, so we're sort of. An interesting mix. You've got the that's aquarium, cool. and then you've got tigers at the end of it. Yeah. So, and then a Ferris wheel, but that's Houston for you. you can go check Christian, some more out. yeah. All right. Well, in the off season, you'll get to check out lots more aquariums. Yeah. But for now, just wish you the best of luck for the rest appreciate of the season. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Fun guy interview. I've had a chance to do it a couple times after a couple of games earlier this year. Glad that Christian Harris is here with the Texans. Now we're gonna switch over to the Texas Bowl because the GM of Lone Star Sports Entertainment, executive director of the Texas. Bowl Tax at Texas Bowl. David Fletcher joins me next right here on Texas All Access. We've got the Tax Act Texas Bowl coming up December 28th. If you're watching the game at home, you see my buddy Andre Ware calling the game. If you're listening on Sports Radio 610, you'll hear me calling the game. It's going to be a great one. And that brings in my pal, GM of LSSC, Lone Star Sports Entertainment, who's putting the game on, and GM, excuse me, Executive Director of the Tax Act Texas Bowl, David Fletcher. Fletch, we are eight days away as we're recording this on December 20th, so I might play it a couple times. So if you're hearing it the second time, that's great. Just do the math. It's the 28th, and whatever day it is, you just subtract it, and away you go. So if you listen to it on the 27th, well, guess what? You're one day away, but my man Fletch is with me. Fletch, what's going on? You can do math, right? Uh, Well, I don't know. I'm a University of Texas alum where it's not really our strong suit, but um, you know what? Yeah, Johnny, it's, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Bowl season is here, and we got a great one here. On Wednesday, the 28th, between the Texas Tech Red Raiders and the Ole Miss Rebels. The 2022 Tax Act Texas Bowl right here at NRG Stadium. Okay, let me start there because there were so many different matchups that we had tossed around. In fact, we had talked about so many different matchups, Fletch, that during the game on Sunday when it was announced... I remember saying, oh, yeah, it's Texas Tech and Arkansas because I had screwed up because we talked about so many different matchups, and I I was like, oh, wait, no, it's Ole Miss. So you get Texas Tech and Ole Miss. It's a heck of a matchup, my man. Getting Lane Kiffin here from the Ole Miss side. You get Joey McGuire, who understands the state of Texas because he grew up as a Texas high school coach, now taking over Texas Tech. First of all, the coaches you got in this matchup, you couldn't have asked for a better matchup from that perspective. I mean, these are high-energy 
big time offenses. You've got the only matchup in the country of two top 12 offenses right here in Houston. Uh, Texas Tech, known for their uh, passing assault. Uh, they led the Big 12 in passing again, as expected, throwing the ball around. Took three different quarterbacks this year to do yeah. it, given all the injuries. But but they made it through, coming in on a hot streak, three-game winning streak down the stretch. Wins over Texas and Oklahoma for the first time ever. Uh, Joey McGuire's got it, got it rolling yeah. up there in the Plains. And then, look, Lane Kiffin on the other side of the ball, one of the most creative offensive minds in the game, the third best rushing attack in the country, led the SEC two horses in Judkins and Evans. They're going to run the, the, the spread like nobody else in the country. I don't know if our stadium guys are going to be able to keep up on the scoreboard with enough points. I mean, it's going to be electric in here, a ton of energy, and, and that's something that's great for the fans, especially this time of year when you've got matchups like, like we see in the bowl season where – Teams that don't get a chance to play each other very often, different styles, different uh, types of mentalities. You know, that, that great makes for great football. Um, this one here, two different ways to do it, but the, the, the thing that both of them are going to be doing is putting up some points, and that'll be a lot of fun. I think what's ironic, everybody thinks about Lane Kiffin, they think, oh, he throws it around the yard, they're up-tempo, they're slinging it all over the place. Fletcher, you're going to be further from the truth. They run the rock a lot, and they'll do it out of up-tempo, but Ole Miss will run it, like you said, with Ju with Judkins and Evans. I mean, they run the rock about as well as anybody runs it. But everybody thinks they want to throw the football, and yet they just pound the rock and make you like it. And if you don't, they're going to run it for 350 yards. Well, look, and 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 they can throw it. I mean, Jackson Dart, you know, yep. transferred in there is. Uh, is is come in and really added an element to the offense that he can throw the ball around. Um, we all know that Ole Miss can 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 recruit and has some great receivers. Look at the history of guys like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown that that played there in recent years. I uh, mean, they know what they're doing. Treadwell, another one. So you know, but but uh, Dart can run it or throw it. You combine it with those two backs um, and and a really good young offensive line. And uh, to your point, Johnny, I mean, you know, just because they're high powered doesn't mean they're throwing the ball. Right. They're putting it on the they're putting it on the ground and they're pounding you. What has Joey McGuire done at Texas Tech? Fletch it because it feels like tech has there's more juice there's more momentum I know this state can be very provincial about its coaching spots and coaches etc the fact that Joey McGuire was a high school coach in this state and then obviously knows how to recruit this state it feels like that has made a pretty big impact at Texas Tech how do you see what he's done for Texas Tech and not only this year but going forward as well well I think you know the thing that Joey's brought more than anything um and, and I've seen it firsthand and, and and any Red Raider fan that has seen it as well I mean he's brought the energy mm -hmm. I mean the guy is relentless he is um, so positive. He's focused on really trying to build something out there at Texas Tech. He's got the great roots here in the state as a high school coach, coached uh, at Baylor as well, had some high success there here in the state. Uh, but fundamentally, he's got such an energy. I yeah. love to tell this story, and, and I know it's one that's been out there before, but I don't even know if Joey McGuire was on the radar at Texas Tech. But uh, Kirby Hocutt, the AD there, a good friend of mine, and, and shared that Joey just kept calling and calling and calling and calling, <laughs> you know, really? and, and he eventually, you know, I mean, he knew he'd had success, but he didn't know much about him. He said, he said the relentlessness was one of the big reasons because wow. he just kept calling him. And, and when he got a chance to actually visit with him, 
you know, it, it made all the sense in the world, a great fit. So that's the kind of guy that he is with the relationships that he's built. He could certainly take Texas Tech to a place they haven't been in in, in a little while now. Yeah. And that's a, that's a place where they're competing um, for the Big 12, competing um, potentially, especially with the expanded playoff, for a spot, spot in, in, in what, um, what could be a fun tournament going forward. And they're just unique. You know, there are those teams in college football, Navy, Georgia Tech, and I'd say Texas Tech that you just plan for that are different. Yeah. You know, because they throw the ball around. Everybody's throwing the ball around a lot, but they throw the ball around at such a pace with such precision, um, no matter who's in that system. And, and having that energy for, from a guy like Joey McGuire to help elevate the, 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 the program, elevate the, um, you know, the, 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 the pace, and, and ultimately you know, deliver the results is something that I think a lot of people up there in Lubbock are really excited about. Yeah, it's, that program, I think, is definitely, definitely on the rise. I think Joey McGuire, when, it, it's interesting hearing that story about McGuire, just, hey, I'm going to keep calling, and you're going to have to tell me no. And eventually, they didn't tell him no. And I think it's it's paying off for Texas Tech the way that he has he has marketed. And and every time you use the word marketing, you feel like oh they're trying to they're you know trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. It's not really that. But how you market and package the program can be very attractive to recruits nowadays. Look, and invested. he's done a great job in doing that. Yeah, and he's got full support up there, uh, just like like Kiffin does as well at Ole Miss. I mean, you know, both are investing heavily into um, the the. Uh, facility side yep. uh, both both have very uh, aggressive um, uh, plans around NIL and transfer which you have to in this mm -hmm. environment and um, they're two they're two programs we talked about this um, when, when it was announced these are two programs over the last three years that are really on the rise yeah and that's something about this particular game Johnny that I think yep. is really intriguing to fans it's why it's always one of that that people like to watch is teams that win this game are setting themselves up for success next year. Yep. The last five winners of the Tax Act Texas Bowl have played in the New Year's Six the next season. And and so, look, both of these teams know that. They're not necessarily focused exclusively on trying to win this game. They're trying to win this game so they can set up that momentum for next year. And and, and both of them have, have been on a track to do that the last three years. Yeah, Texas Tech, last time, if my math is correct, that they were in the – Tax Act, Texas Bowl, some dude named Mahomes was the starting quarterback for them back then. That's an accurate assessment, 2015. I mean, that was the first time that night watching Mahomes, I'm like, yo, that guy's special. That dude is on a different, different level. And having seen him up close and seeing what he was doing up close, it, I went on a limb and said, that guy can play in this league. In fact, I was in my mock drafts early saying, I saw him at Texas Bowl do things I don't know that a lot of quarterbacks can on this planet can do, and now he's doing them at the NFL level. And I think that's one of the other things, too, Fletch, is for some people that obviously, you know, kind of live in my world, sometimes they, they come just to see players. They want to see guys. Now, you won't see Tyree Wilson, who arguably is going to be a top 12 pick at worst, maybe a top 10 pick, the defensive end for Texas Tech, who you saw a couple years ago, who I saw a couple years ago in the Texas kickoff. But there are also stars in this game, too. You mentioned Jackson Dart. He's going to be in that class of 2024 quarterbacks after transferring from USC. Quinshawn Judkins, the running back, who might be, when it's all said and done, Bijan's pretty good at Texas. But Quinshawn Judkins is in the team picture as one of the top five running backs in the country as a true freshman. And, of course, Zach Evans. I hope we get a chance to see Zach Evans coming back home to play North Shore High School, having – 
those star players in this game has always been great because we've seen Mahomes. We saw Miles Garrett. Um, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams playing for LSU. I mean, Leonard Fournette. I mean, all those guys have played in this game, Fletch, and that's a massive feather in in your cap to bring them all here, but then those guys to show it off once they get here. Yeah, I mean, you look you look at uh you look at the type of talent that's that's in college football right now. Um it's certainly it's certainly amazing to see the type of guys that that we have been able to fortunately um have at our game each year. Uh, even last year's game, Skylar Thompson, you know, the MVP yep. for Kansas State. Absolutely. Boy, the Wildcats, awesome to see what they've been able to do. They got a great matchup with Alabama in the Sugar Bowl after winning the Big 12. And so, you know, again, that's that's fun. There's a lot of fun reasons to come out here next Wednesday night uh, and, uh, and, and catch this game. 8 o'clock uh, on ESPN if you're not able to make it out to the stadium. Uh, tickets still available, a handful of them at least, at taxacttexasbowl.com. But there's something for everybody. There's there's f- the, the fun and the passion and the pageantry of college football with the spirit groups and the bands and the mascots and the cheer and, and everybody tailgating heavy. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a full day of college football next Wednesday, four games, and we're the primetime uh, headliner. So, um, you know, if you're a college football fan, this is a fun time of year. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, you know, you can watch the stars of the future. You can come out and have a great time with your family. Mm-hmm. I know at that point, a lot of us probably, I know my family is going to be tired of seeing me. So, <laughs> you know, come out, get out of the house, go have some fun. Um, tickets starting as, as low as 25 bucks. So, um, there's a little bit of something for everybody, but, um, that's, that's what makes this event so much fun for our group here in the building. And, and for, for those in the community that help support it is, it is a true celebration of the culture, heritage, and football tradition of the Lone Star State. Um, there's fan events throughout the week, taxacttexasbowl.com, where you can you can find out those full schedules and, and get your tickets for those. Um, there's a lot of ways to interact with the, fa- uh, the the teams while they're here, and it all benefits a great charity in Depelchin Children's Center. So yeah. uh, you, you look at all the things that you could do during the holiday season, not a whole lot else that, that I can come up with that, that has more variety and uh, a bigger impact on our community than coming out for this event. No doubt, my man. David Fletcher, when you get to the Texas Bowl and you get great seats and you see a great game, I want you to keep that name in mind because he and his staff provide it for everyone walking in that stadium or come to an event. December 28th, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. Big 12 versus SEC. Doesn't get much better than that. Fletch, you're the man, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Johnny. And that's going to do it for tonight's show. Big thanks to Fletch, to Christian Harris, to D.P. Sidhu, to Drew Doherty, who is always in my mind on this show. You got Mark Vandermeer, to Mike Keith, to Nick Casario, all you guys for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.